everyone. Uh, my name is Andrew Newby, and I'm hosting a series of iResearch Services podcasts over the coming weeks. These are intended to educate senior level marketers and thought leaders as to how to address some of the more challenging and exciting issues facing them currently. Our topic today is that of using thought leadership to evangelize your brand mission, or to use a biological metaphor, how thought leadership can help diagnose and treat organizational diseases. With that, I'd like to welcome today's guest expert, based in Moscow, Dr. Oleg Konovalov. Oleg has been named the Da Vinci of visionary leadership, and I want to get back to you on that later in this podcast, and the whisperer of vision. Dr. Konovalov's new book, The Vision Code, demystifies vision and presents it as a practical business tool. Dr. Konovalov, Oleg, welcome and thank you very much for sharing your insights with our listeners. Andrew, thank you very much for inviting. It's a great honor. Thank you. <laughs> I really look forward uh, yeah. to our conversation. Yeah, I very much so, very much so. So, so firstly, a little bit of context, Oleg. Um, uh, can you briefly describe, or at length describe, how you came to this field, what your background is, what the so empirical and intellectual basis is for your philosophy with regards to vision. Well, that's quite interesting because I was always curious what is there. You know, what is there where I can't see, in the terrains which I can't see, is one thing. Another thing is, we all know, and as we grow or mature, we all know that there is always something which is greater than us much greater and i was always keen to explore this so the my see my findings about vision didn't came overnight it's actually more than 20 years of research of talking with different people learning reflecting and i had a great chat another day with martin lindstrom he is number one in the world in branding and he, he said to me right. look can you define yourself in one word? And it took me just like 20 seconds to explore. So I'm always about to explore something which never been touched before by anyone or, you know, deeply touched. So vision is something that we always talk, but we hardly understand what it's all about. We talk, oh yeah, we need vision. Sure, we need vision. You don't have a vision, so you wouldn't succeed. Yeah, the greatness of your success Depends on the greatness of your vision, but what vision is. And I took a bit of a risk. And great that I did it. Uh, I managed to demystify what vision is, how it comes, what stands behind this aha moment. You know, and to, what came as a result is a practical business tool. So whatever we could talk about something that we don't understand, is meaningless. We need to have practical business tools. From another hand, I have a fishing industry background. Andrew, can you imagine passengers on the board of a deep sea trawler? I don't think so. So everything should have value for people and everything must be practical. If we talk about leadership, it's not about talking, it's about creating value. So my aim is to explore new areas to create a value for people. 
That's about simple. And um, you, you've interviewed visionaries from across the, the globe, sort of self-described visionaries. Um, so one thing I sort of infer from sort of what I've read about you that you, you think that control is an illusion, that, that leadership is not a function, it's a system, and that leaders just simply try to control too much. Uh, people don't overemphasizing the role of control because control is an illusion. Because if people don't know what they're about to do in, in the long run, it's just a jerky management. It's a micromanagement because I'm trying to control something that is non-relevant. Because if it is important and people know about it, it's important, they're taking control and they're taking responsibility over things they do. It's not about you've been late into office for five minutes. No, it's about what a result I would gain or I will achieve by the end of the day. And that result should be firmly aligned with our goals and vision and strategy. It's not, you know, control, it's not about understanding, oh, we have so much units in the stock. It's about establishing an authority of organization or over the company, you know, because authority is not about imprisoning people. It's about giving them a clear direction where to go and what they need to do. And that gives them a sense of control of what they do. This is more important rather than those jerky things. You must be at three o'clock at our daily meeting for another three hours to be wasted. You know, it's not about this. Sure. So, what, you know, in other words, why, why bother employing people when you don't trust them? Let oh, yeah. them solve problems rather than leaders to solving a problem right in front of them. Uh, it's what leaders do for others is the most important thing. I strongly believe, for instance, if we talk about thought leadership, it's not about creating a content. No, no it's about finding solutions and share, and share those solutions with people. And the higher you are in the rank as a thought leader, uh, the more grant of a problem you could solve or find a solution for it you know so the leaders are the same in all organizations if you're leading a company you helping people to find those solutions but what the problem is problem is a distance when we talk about we have problems yeah. but what problem is problem is a distance between a leader and his people or a distance between organization and its customers. You know, everything that puts us apart from one human from another, put it in a simple sense, because then we must shout at each other to get rich, you know, our minds or put our minds together. So the aim is to put those things together, to close this gap, and then it's no problem. 
If we're talking about examples, we can get into examples later. Oh, like, um, let's sort of try and get into the nuts. Let's try and get into the grass a bit here. So, so how, in your view, does a business leader, any leader indeed, um, arguably, evangelize their thought leadership, if we're calling it that, um, to create a vision, a mission, and how do they build trust that can help? people in their organization make that vision a reality what are the sort of practical steps we're talking about here you must be really good at your clarity of creation why your vision exists right because vision comes when your conscious awareness of a problem you want to solve reaches its peak so it's not about i want to do something no no it must be really sharp i'm creating something that would solve people uh, people's problem or would fulfill their demand got it you must be able to manage something as huge as a vision because it's bigger than the company itself mm. you know vision is very practical is very pragmatic so it must be functionable so in terms of scale stimulus simplicity excitement uh it it's something that you could really check against you know like a form okay i have everything and that works so it's not a statement because the problem with those mission statements people hardly remember them for instance if they never been to the head office they never seen that statement <laughs> they just heard about it so they hardly remember it now Again, when we talk about mission statement, mission is, I wouldn't say it's a side effect, but it's what kind of a social impact of what I do makes to the society. Yeah, it does make a whole lot of sense because I'm taking resources from a society, so I should give them something back to a society. But it's very, very different from the vision itself. Because vision, it's not for about tomorrow. It's not for a year ahead. It's many years ahead. For instance, if we talk about different strategy and vision, we're all about creating strategic plans for 25 years. And uh, again, people coming and leaving the company. So finally, it comes to the point when no one is responsible those strategic plans at the end but vision is what kind of impact we would have on the next generation within the same 25 years that's very different so it's not a statement which is crafted within half an hour during the during the board meeting no 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 it's, sure. a, it's not something you can put on the left ahead that doesn't create oh, organizational yeah. memory yeah. Um, so, so in this sense, if we talk, just back to your question, if we talk yeah. about past, at the same time, vision is where people who are involved in that vision mm. will be there within 5, 10, 20 years. So you're clearly showing people their place in that future and they love that place and they will fight for it. So it's a trust becomes a norm. It becomes very organic because they're trusting themselves for wanting to be there. 
Can you give examples from your book, Oleg, of sort of organisations where you where you've seen this happen to you know beyond the obvious sort of um, oligopolies that that run the, the planet at the moment? And sort of one of the best companies of... is WD Forty Company. We all know this famous spray, right? Uh, which is used in every garage, in every kitchen. Actually, Formula One using it <laughs> every hour, right? And I had a great chat and actually a um, regular conversation with Gary Rich, who is the chairman and CEO mm. of this phenomenal company. And they're brilliant. And I love his saying is that my vision, vision doesn't, has, doesn't have a period at the end. So they're always evolving, they're always growing. And uh, it really drives the uh, WD40 forward. They, they, they have the highest engagement rate probably in the world. It's about 96% employee engagement. You know, I don't know many companies with such a high rate. Plastic Bank, it's a phenomenal company uh, founded by David Katz in Vancouver in Canada. Uh, getting people to, he was looking for a problem how to clean an ocean from the plastic from the plastic waste mm. and it took him quite a year to find a solution but solution came in a brilliant way now he he turned plastic waste into a currency more or less people who live on a coast of the oceans they're collecting this plastic waste giving it to david to the plastic bank company. He pays them in electronic money for food, shelter, medical service, schooling, Wi-Fi for everything, right? And he recycles it and sells it to big guys like you know, Johnson & Johnson, IBM. So he calculated simply, it's about $9 trillion are floating in the ocean now in the form of plastic waste. So it's a heck of a work to do, but he fights poverty, he cleans the ocean, he makes a profit, and it has a huge social impact. It's a brilliant example. You know? And those people are around us. And it's a, a heck of a lot of deal to learn from them. Yeah, so, so you so just trying to sort of condense what you're saying here. So, because you're saying it's about no matter how glamorous the product, it's, it's about realizing who you are okay. as a person and, and as, as a company and creating value in the sense of how we see relationships with others, with the broader world around us in, in the very broader sense. Actually, if we're not creating value in our life, that means we are stealing from our life we must fulfill the life with, uh, with some kind of a value we create. Otherwise, we just one bias of this life. No point. No, 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 no. It's too risky. I can see how that message might not resonate well with a lot of people. So we can come on to the sort of resistance to, to change that um, so we're discussing it. Um, how can thought leaders improve um, 
employee satisfaction in, in particular with reference to helping in them understand their importance to the overall mission you've mentioned um sort of clarity uh, as, as sort of one sort of factor already but if you could just expand on that for our listeners please oleg vision is about being realized right but acting or executing a vision stands on a strong leadership where the one of the core elements of it is strong, strong productive culture and we could look at the culture as a positive productive productive interaction of people wrapped into a vision so right. i must be really a strong leader not a pleaser right uh not a personal ambition driven person i must be a really strong leader who shows people a direction and creating that really strong environment really strong culture where the people succeed and grow and that is a really critical competence because the problem is in fact and not many companies have a strong culture. Many companies talk about having a strong culture, but not many companies have a strong culture. So it's a very important competence which must be achieved because you are managing critical metaphysical resources such as trust, teamwork, innovation, uh, professionalism, accountability. And it's all about how you care for people. If you care, if you know how to care for people, they will do their best. They will be loyal, they will be creative, they will be satisfied, and they will do their best to achieve those goals. So it's about goal and a certain level of performance to achieve that goal, and people committing to it. We are um, by nature sort of cooperative animals, and it's, it's actually quite surprising how organisations manage to distort or thwart the, the sort of quite primeval instincts we have to sort of cooperate and sort of interact with those around us. Um, you, you mentioned um, sort of, you know, the, the, the sort of dark side of, in a way, a lot of companies just simply aren't adding value in the, in the broader sense or even in the narrow sense of, of making a sort of truly adding profit and creating value for customers so so what challenges given that thought leaders as, as leaders um sort of just do what they have to do and don't crowd please don't tick boxes what what challenges do thought leaders typically face in your experience when trying to spread the message of the company both internally and trying to evangelize and be an advocate sort of externally sort of, we could start with a sort of internal issues and politics first oh there are quite an quite a few things but i would focus on four most important leader must be quite courageous enough to lead people to new terrains right to new reality so he should be an an example or a model of courageous thinking right it's about 
not just overcoming resistance, it's about eradicating office silos. Because silos grow from the top of a company. It's stimulated from there, right? It's about listening people and giving them a clear direction where to go. And that is very, very, and uh, very critical is to be positive. It is very, very important because if you look at the corporate correspondence, the correspondence more or less looks like a verdict. It's not much positive. It's about, ooh, it's almost like, you know, a book of, of condolence. <laughs> we are so sad that we missed a good goal. No, 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 no. We should be a bit more positive because it sets a mental frame for people where they go and how they're creating it. At least four. But there are much more. Sure. And a willingness to learn, I guess, is one of the challenges. Absolutely. Uh, and willingness to learn, it's not about reading books or articles. It's actually about reflection. Uh, many people read books, different books. Many people just spend hours and hours in Facebook or on LinkedIn, you know, but what they learn, they would hardly take even a single line note over the day, what a good learning case. I think about if you're watching some kind of a documentary, an hour long documentary, mm. is a, a good one, you could easily take out about five, 600 words of notes. And that you think, okay, learning. But again, learning, in my view, is about meeting new people and listening to them because people have all the answers and even better answers than you could find in any book. You know, and those experiences they are sharing with you is really condensed, proved, and well-tested through the life of these people. So it's very important. In this sense, I would say, you, you know, every leader must be streetwise in terms of how quickly he thinks. Bookwise, being really educated and know a lot it's about really great broad outlook and must be nature wise to understand what's going on around him or her how this world evolves how environment works you must be really attuned to the nature we are life creatures we are only the a part of this world so we must be really attuned to it. That's actually very demanding, isn't it? That sounds uh, oh, it's so really simple. <laughs> it's really interesting. Because you would but know- True leaders do that naturally, but the yeah. rest of us have to be taught that. Uh, Alexander the Great didn't need to be taught this, but he embodies oh. it. <laughs> Funny you mentioned Alexander the Great, but it's probably came because of his great teacher Aristotle. Mm. You know, uh, who taught him how to look at those things differently. And so, in this sense, uh, Alexander the Great is a great 
product of a great thought leadership. Um, yes, yeah, so it sounds like a lot of organizational models are uh, platonic rather than Aristotelian. Um, so, in one of your uh, sorry, going off now on classical uh, <laughs> tangents. So, in one of your other books, Oleg, Organizational Autonomy um, Anatomy, views organizational processes from a biological perspective. Um, what, what's your approach when diagnosing and treating? organizational diseases if if diseases is the correct term maladies or dysfunction yeah. oh i even expanded this approach in my uh, latest book leaderology because we can't create anything more clever than us than ourselves so we're mm -hmm. copying the world around us and being biological creatures we create similar biological creatures or into some form and so i decided to look what's the difference between organizations for instance and so i came up with five archetypes it's produces knowledge dependent organizations donor dependent organization location dependent and state affiliated organizations okay they're different because they create value differently for customers mm. they, they need different core resources they're very ever so different you know for instance you don't expect dog to climb a tree you know it's they are different okay that allows me to look at their optimum configurations and so if those configure, you know, if something was set initially from the foundation or very beginning of that company from the day of establishment, at least to pathology, because most often, for instance, modern banks, they're trying to get uh, properties from location dependent companies, but they're mm -hmm. not the markets, they're not hotels they depend on knowledge for instance you know so more or less you're grasp, uh, grabbing a pathology which is difficult to eradicate and it costs a lot to organization on a on the way they go they're picking up a certain diseases which are internal more like neurological diseases for instance cross syndrome when one department is not fulfilling own duties and blaming another department so the body of organization become quite bended and mm. so when you have that typology you could clearly articulate and diagnose these things and vast majority of those diseases comes from negative culture or weak culture right uh, a lot of problems for instance, resource blindness is similar to color blindness because the problem with modern leaders, they have difficulty identifying what core resources are needed for their companies. So it leads to a very serious problems, in fact. So they're more or less uh, spending money, time and effort on something which doesn't create a value for that company. Yeah. So more or less fancy cars, are not making the organization stronger. I mean, just like an example from a surface. 
but the problems are there and they can be treated. More or less, if organization is uh, well diagnosed and treated, it improves its performance by about 100, 120%. Following that analogy, Oleg, then mm -hmm. uh, the anatomical uh, analogy, um, is it possible that companies uh, just cannot or should not be doing certain things from a, an organic point of view that the leaders should be identifying, given the resources we have, we cannot do this, but we can do that. Absolutely. And you could see it straight away. For instance, we, at, at present, many healthcare organizations are facing a huge difficulty because initially they are established to or created to develop, accumulate, and utilize knowledge of doctors, of medical consultants. But quite often they are presented as a service which is location, location dependent. Mm. So more or less, they're placing hospitals everywhere and they're not bothered what kind of, of expertise is really accumulated in these hospitals. And so, patients, i.e. customers in this sense, they are uh, they're starting to recognize hospitals as some kind of a service organizations. But doctor is not a cobbler. It's very, very different. Mm. So, and that causes a huge disbalance in those relationships. Look at HR agencies. They have been about not being statisticians, uh, but they have been about to adding value based on knowledge. But it seems to me most of HR agencies are far not fulfilling this mm. expertise. They're more about ticket box, you know, which yeah. is which falls into no category at all because they're becoming more of a scavengers of of the people demand. And so it's not a surprise at the moment about, uh, I've been looking at a recent research of uh, one of the British companies, a fantastic research, uh, about 90% of clients don't trust HR agencies. So if only 10% of clients trust to some extent to these HR agencies, why this industry exists. Or it really shows that they're on a brink of a big trouble. It's a shocking statistic if that, that's true across uh, companies in general. Um, okay, so just, just to sort of draw this podcast to a closer, like sort of what, what for you are the key factors, the, the the irreducible minima uh, in in maintaining a strong, productive corporate culture uh, and in just achieving superior business performance, whatever that means, or organizational performance. So what are the, the key takeaways you, you sort of implore us to, to bear in mind? Culture is an inner energy of organization where everyone adding to that energy, own contribution. 
and people will start adding their contribution to that energy only after leaders adding their portion so for leaders should clearly understand that culture reflects leadership if it's a bad culture means it's bad leadership if it's a good culture that means leadership is good so it's not about you or me it's about what we do for others quite simple <laughs> that is as you put it yes thank you so um i promised at the start of this podcast that i'd ask you about um being called the the da vinci of visionary leadership oh. i i <laughs> who described you as that just because i used it in the introduction i, I feel it has to be put in context okay um so just sort of as a final sort of um sort of line for our for our listeners sort of what's that all about Oleg? <laughs> vision is an art of thinking right so it must be really well balanced it's it has its own golden ratio right as da vinci did so it's not something ugly it's really beautiful and strong mm. you know even if it's created today it still will be you know fascinating people within 20 years because it's brilliant as in da vinci so um i'm always of a simple position leadership must be artful so the vision as well if you're making that but it can't be taught the brilliance of vision it can't be taught it's not a gift it's a hard work and it's clear algorithm so i even uh, coaching this algorithm on i have a, a certification course of for visionary leaders and that is about creating that beauty if it's not beautiful if it's not simple it would not attract people oleg dr konovalov <laughs> thank you so much for your time and insights today it's it's been an absolute pleasure to talk thank to you thank you very much um i'm honored thank you thank you very much thank you so much thank you Thank <laughs> you.